This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back. Sports to the Max. News Talk 830 WCCO. Twins win 8-4 to four today right here. Joe Ryan, outstanding. Six innings, one run. Looked really, really good. Joining us in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline former NBA world champion Trent Tucker, lottery pick of the New York Knicks, member of the Chicago Bulls, and much more. Trent, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Happy Good Friday. Same to you, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Now, now tell me, did you ever play with anybody that reminded you of Patrick Beverly? Uh, no. Not even Rodman? I don't think so. I didn't play with Dennis Rodman. Oh, you were that? He came later, didn't he? He came later, so I don't think I ever played with anyone. No, I played with guys who were very intense. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Patrick Beverly is Patrick Beverly. So, I mean, a lot of people say he's a missing ingredient that this team needed. And, and, and I've even heard people say that, that it's, you know, behind the scenes, uh, he's the one that takes Carl Anthony Towns and says, Carl, make this your team. You be the man. And, and, he, and he's pushed him in that direction. What do you see from Beverly? Well, he's a guy that's that's been around the block in terms of playing for winning organizations. He's a playoff player. He's played with great players. So he understands, you know, how great players are able to perform at the most critical time of the year but in how they work to get themselves in a position to be great. And so he's trying to pass on, you know, that knowledge that he has received over the years to help someone like Carl Anthony Towns at this time of the year. Uh, Chris Finch was on with Benita Sakar and I the other, the other day, and, and he said that, you know, he, he'd been around him twice. Uh, Beverly had him in Houston, too, and he says, uh, it's, it's a lot, this is calculated, what he does. It looks emotional, but it's calculated. It's premeditated. It's to bring out the best in his team and the worst in the others. Do, do you see that? Do you, do you think as much as we look at it as emotionally charged, he's actually in full control? He's trying to gain an edge. You know, there are times he could be in control, but also if you watched him throughout his career, there are some times where he's been out of control. Yeah. <laughs> And so it can be a combination of the two. It all depends on what the situation looks like. I thought maybe last year when he shelled Chris Paul in the back, you know, that wasn't premeditated. That was out of control. Yeah, because it, it, it cost your team. And, and even if it was premeditated, it was a stupid decision. Stupid decisions mean you're out of control, right? Right, yeah. So, you know, he pushed Chris Paul in the back. I think he was frustrated because, you know, they had lost and the, the series was over. You know, Phoenix was moving on to the next round. Well, you know, he plays with the edge, and and you're just hoping that, 
in a critical moment when 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 the emotions are really really high, you know he doesn't cross the line and and make a bad play for your team. But I understand his emotion the other night against the Clippers because when you play for a team yep. or you play for a team for so long and you feel like that you gave everything that you could give and and they may have told you that you know you're going to be here for the rest of your career and. I think when he got traded, you know, they hurt his feelings. And we all know, Mike, and you know as well as I do, pro basketball, pro sports can be very unkind. And and loyalty is is, is not a mainstay. When when a team decides that they're going to go in a different direction and move on, they're going to move on and there's nothing you can do. So I understand how he felt Tuesday night when his team, you know, won that basketball game against his former team. Yeah, because because the truth is they will tell you – uh, everything you want to hear, right up to the point when they decide to trade you, and then that's just oh, I ain't no doubt about it. Right? You know, we're going to sign I mean, they, they, they will tell you, "We love you, we love you, we love you." To get the best out of you, oh, you're gone. You know? Oh yeah, I mean, and 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 you have to have to understand that. But you know, the emotions can run deep in certain people, and for him, it was a gratifying moment to have a chance to beat the Clippers to yep. get his team solidified into a playoff position. So let's see now where they go from here. Uh, it was a big win for them against the Clippers, you know, but the real clock starts tomorrow afternoon uh, in Memphis. All right, so let's go to Memphis, the Grizzlies. John Morant, all that goes, Dylan Brooks is back. Uh, all that goes with this team. And let's start with Morant. Uh, where does he rank to you in the NBA right now in terms of impact on a team? For impact on his team, I mean, he's right there at the top of the list. Yep. But even though, even though he was, he he missed some games this year. His team still performed very well. Yep. It's a it's, yeah, it's Tyus a very Jones was outstanding team. when he was out. Yeah, it's a very good basketball team. They're well balanced. They have good bench production. They're strong defensively. You know, they're connected. It's a team that that knows how to play together. They're well coached, and you know, coming down toward the end of the season, they were one of the better teams in the entire league. Even though the Wolves and, 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 and the Grizz, you know, they went two and two against each other this, this regular season. You know, but the Wolves are going to have to be ready to play against this team because if they think that they can walk in and just show up and beat this basketball team, it could be a long, it, it could be a short series for them in a long day. Do, do you try to isolate do you do you try to throw something at Morant that he hasn't seen or or is that just fool's gold to think you're going to give him anything he hasn't seen and you're best off just sticking to your philosophies and your principles and he's going to get what he's going to get but 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 if you overplay it if you if you spend too much time on him you'll get burned worse how do you approach that well you know you're going to make adjustments throughout the series uh, you're going to come in and, and fill each other out and that maybe after game one, if, if let's say if Memphis wins game one, then you're going to have to go back to the board and make some adjustments here or there to see how you can take certain things away. Uh, throughout a, a series, whether it's four games or at seven games, you know, throughout at some point in time, you have to make some of those adjustments and put your team in a better situation to, to see if they can win. You know, he's so talented. You know, Mike, if he gets going, you don't know if you can control it, but – I've always said, you know, if I can make the best player, especially a playoff time, become a passer, 
that gives me a much better chance to find success. Trent Tucker's our guest. The Clippers did that. He didn't really become a passer, but they, they certainly took Carl Anthony Towns out of his game. They focused on it, and it worked. Was that a product of the Clippers, or was that Carl Anthony Towns uh, not handling a situation well? Uh, it could have been a combination of the two. Uh, the Clippers knew exactly what they wanted to do, and the Wolves should not have been surprised because throughout the regular season, you know, they 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 brought that same type of you know philosophy philosophy to their to their defensive scheme. They were going to take Carl Anthony Towns out of the game and, and force him to be a passer more so than a score. When you have a young player who is facing that in a in a critical play in type situation. That's why I believe the coaching staff have to sit down and talk with him and help him navigate through these moments. Because if you, they should say, hey, Carl, if now, if, if, if you're going to draw two people or three people, make sure you catch and locate first. Catch the ball, locate to see where the double teams or the triple teams are coming from. If the extra man is coming from here, now the ball should move to that spot. If, the, if, the, if they're coming from the baseline side, well, then the ball should move you know, uh, to another position. Help him understand so that frustration doesn't begin to seek in. When you are the, the number one scorer or the, or the best player, and if things are not going well for you offensively early, that's when frustration begins to sit in, and that's when you pick up bad habits like getting cheap fouls, and now you find yourself on the bench. Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal took umbrage with him at halftime and said, you need to post up down low, son, uh, because there's a lot of good things that can happen if you post up down low. Carl doesn't like to post up down low. He, he, he likes to move it out as far as he can. That, that's his style, whatever. Does he have to post up down low to be effective because of his size? Well, you would like to see him go down low, especially at playoff time, because the game is going to slow down. And, you know, you want to be able to get yourself to the free throw line so you can get some free points. And the quicker you can get your opposition into foul trouble, you know, that's going to help your offensive game for sure. But when you post up, the double team now can come a whole lot quicker because they can locate you. You're in a stationary position. If the double team comes, invite the double team and then make the extra pass because you have enough guys on your team who, who are able to make open shots. If they can make open shots, all of a sudden now that's going to relieve some of the double team pressure. In critical moments, you may find yourself in a one-on-one situation and then it's time for you to go to work. Um, obviously, Anthony Edwards, uh, you know, we've watched him since he got here, but I guess I, w- I would say he passed the test, not that we didn't think he, he would struggle with it the other night. He's not afraid of the moment, is he? Well, he wasn't afraid of the moment on Tuesday night, you know, but the real moment begins now. So, so it will because be different, huh? It will be different because you don't have to win one game to get in. you got to win four games to advance against the same team. And beating the same team four times will will show and will show exactly where you are as a team and and as a player. So the real moment of truth, you know, for this for this basketball team begins tomorrow afternoon. Do teams make a lot of adjustments during the playoffs? They always talk about game one sets the stage and determines the way the rest of the series will be played. All those things, but man, you you play eighty two games, you know who you are. Well you, well, you know who you are, but you may not know who your opponent is because you don't have a chance to prepare during the regular season like you would during the playoffs. You may play the Memphis Grizzlies on a Tuesday night sometime in November, but you may not see them again until December. So things can change, so you haven't had a chance to focus on that team. 
you play them Saturday afternoon at 2.30, you're going to see them maybe two or three days, two or three days later. If you're not successful in game number one, you go back and watch the film. You say they beat us here, they beat us there. So now let's see if we can come up with some, with some sort of plan on the defensive end to take certain things away. And then offensively, you know, we were weak here. We didn't execute at this time on the offensive end. So now let's move the ball a little bit further down the right side so that we can get a better pass lane into the post guy so that he can go to work down. And here comes the double team, Carl. Now that's where the open guy is. Have to make the extra pass. Shooters be ready to catch the ball and shoot. So all these adjustments are going to take place throughout this series. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how these coaches are able to manage, to manage these matchups. Who do you think the Timberwolves' best weapon off the bench is? Off the bench, uh, I think the one guy that, you know, that could relieve some of the pressure, especially with his outside shooting, if he's on, is Malik Beasley. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have a guy that can give you outside production, now that's going to space the floor. So now you have to extend their defense to get to him, and that's where you can open up driving lanes, but also you can open the post the post club game as well. Why do you think you know? I, I've watched him a lot. I watched him uh, working out the, the other day. Um, and, and all good shooters are hot and cold shooters. I understand that, but he seems like there is quite a variance in that he he could hit five in a row and he could miss five in a row. More so, maybe this is I, I don't know this statistically to back it up, uh, but you're a shooter shooter trend. It seems like he he is prone to the, the, the ups and downs more than other shooters that I have seen. Have you seen that, or is that just uh, am I just reading too much into that because I've, 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 that's the way I've watched it? No, he's a very streaky shooter. You know, he runs hot and cold. Uh, but, you know, they need him, you know, to run hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and a guy like that, shoot, shoot, I mean, you know this, Barrett. Anyway, have I mean, he could win one game for you, right? He could win one game he, this he series game with one great third quarter, you know? No no doubt about it. And, see, and at this time of the year, you know, Mike, for a lot of these guys on, on, on the team with the Wolves at this stage, I think D'Angelo Russell has, has been in a playoff-type situation. Uh, Malik Beasley probably visited the playoffs with the Denver Nuggets as well. Patrick Beverly has been there, but Patrick Beverly is not is not your main go to guy. So he's not asked, you know, to put up twenty five or thirty points. But for role players like a Patrick Beverly, like a Malik Beasley, like anyone else who's coming in off the bench, you know, every shot you get, every open shot you get it's going to be critical that you make a high percentage of those shots because the games could be that close. Every situation is going to matter. One missed shot here or there in the first quarter could make the difference in an entire basketball game. So when you have a chance to put points on the board, you're going to have to put points on the board at a very consistent percentage. Last question. In the West, is there anybody that realistically can challenge a healthy Phoenix team? The Suns? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I think they're the best team for sure in the Western Conference. Now, are they, are they the best team in the entire NBA? I don't know. I think Milwaukee right now, to me, is still the team to beat because of Giannis and, and, the, and how they play together as a team from a defensive standpoint. But I don't see no one in the Western Conference right now on paper 
Not saying that it can't happen, but I don't see anyone beating the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference. Yeah, and, and obviously the one X factor, too, is can Golden State, if they're healthy, we don't know how healthy they're going to be. What will they look like, huh? That's true. I, I just don't think they have enough firepower. You know, when Phoenix made their run a year ago, I thought it was because the Lakers got hurt at the at the worst possible time. You know, Anthony Davis goes down after they have a two one lead in the first round. LeBron James goes down as well. So Phoenix was able to take full advantage of those two guys not being there. And they make their run all the way to the NBA finals and I felt like that you no, know, that was just that wasn't real. This team is not that good. And then I began to watch them this year more times than not. And I say, wow, this team is yeah. that good. Yeah, when, when, when they lost, you know, Paul didn't play against the Timberwolves. Wolves got a big lead on them. And, they, and, and the Wolves were talking a lot of smack that night, if you recall. And, and they came <laughs> back, and behind Devin Booker, he put on a show and kind of laughed at them. I go, whoa, this team is the real deal. They, they, they just they, 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 they decided to take it to a fifth gear. And you know, a lot of teams can want to take it to a fifth gear, but they went there, and they did it unapologetically. And you go, whoa, that is something special when you, when you can do that. Yeah, they can walk you down. You know, you can, get, you can have a nice lead on them and – and all of a sudden, you, you think that you know you know you got this game under control, but they have players who can you know who can put up numbers. But when you have a team that that knows that they can rely on their defense, they can get the critical stops they need to get to put their offense in a situation where they can be successful. You know that's how you win championships. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much. I hope we can tap into you again during the playoffs. Anytime, Mike. You know that. You got it. Trent Tucker, the one and only. Uh, won that world championship with Chicago. Played for San Antonio. Played for the New York Knicks. Phoenix Suns. I mean, he, he, he'd been around a little bit. And he can shoot the basketball. I have a question. And it deserves the proper answer. I'll ask it when we come back on Sports to the Max. Uh, the question that I have is a good one. Uh, you just heard Paul Douglas. And he wants to take you on a tour. And uh, the Canadian Rockies, all those things. But but part of it is uh, you have a chance at the end, and I, I assume this to be the crescendo, uh, to meet retired Mounties and talk to them in Calgary. Um, has anyone ever talked to a retired Mountie in, in Calgary? Is that, um, I mean, what are the conversations like? Are you allowed to ask them anything you want? Um, is it a situation where they can they talk about uh, their careers as a Mountie in Calgary? Or is it a situation where um, they're not allowed to because there's some certain code out there that they have to adhere to? Uh, that even long after their days as active Mounties, they still can't talk about their time in you know the service, so to speak. And um, as I hear the ad, I say, well, I, I get it. Uh, it sounds like it'd be quite the time. Um, but I think we need to get a little bit more in depth in terms of parameters. You know, what can you ask a, a, re, a retired Mountie in Calgary? And is it different? And I think this is big for a lot of people, uh, at least based on the, on the emails that I get. Is that different than a retired Mountie in Vancouver or Edmonton? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but certainly if you're going to, if you're going to take a trip like that, you probably want to know a little bit more about the retired Mounties in Calgary. And so I am, if anybody has any, the, the question that I asked, that I teased before the break was, uh, what do we really know about retired Mounties in Calgary? 
And, and so if you have information on that, let me know. But I will research it for you as well. Uh, because I know some of you that are sitting on the fence as to whether or not you're going to go on that trip, uh, you're going, yes, but. And the but is, can I ask the retired Mountie in Calgary anything I want? Or is there, you know, is there some code of conduct that I have to read and sign off on before I get a chance to visit with them? And some of you that have traveled in Canada, for sure, are saying, hey, man, I was in Winnipeg and I talked to a retired Mountie. Um, how is it different when I'm talking to a retired Mountie in Calgary? Um, I, I wish I could give you more answers on it. I can't. I promise I'll research it, but maybe some of you could provide me with some, too, because I have, I, I've been to Calgary. But while I was there, I never had a chance to talk to a retired Mountie. And um, I would say that this is a regret, but I don't know, because I don't know what you'd be allowed to ask the retired Mountie. Oh, man, I'm not going to sleep again tonight. When we come back, Bill Robertson, he worked for three different Major League franchises that made the playoffs. He's now the commissioner of the USHL. That means we got a two-pronged interview coming your way. Ding, 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 ding. It's the Blue Light Special. We'll talk with him about what it's like for an organization when they make the playoffs and how you try to cash in on it when you do, i.e. Wild and Wolves. And what is up with the USHL? You remember, they're in the playoffs now, too, and they had all these high school kids and roster spots and all these. How does that work? I don't know. We'll ask Bill. I'm not going to ask him about the retired Mounties in Calgary because I don't think he knows the answer to that question. I think he knows about the retired Mounties in Toronto. I think that's where it is. That's his expertise. But I'm not even going to go there because it's not Calgary. Stay with us on Sports to the Max. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Twins win 8-4 to four today. Timberwolves tomorrow here. Um, with the uh, Twins move over to the Dow to 102.9. Uh, you'll figure it out of the fly tomorrow, I'm sure. Joining us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, the one and only Bill Robertson, Commissioner of the USHL with a storied background in college and professional sports. Bill, happy uh, happy Good Friday to you. Happy holiday weekend to you, Mike, and to all your listeners out there. Okay, so you've been through playoffs a lot with the Wild when you were there, the Timberwolves, et cetera, et cetera, the Angels uh, in Major League Baseball. What do you, what what does an organization try to get out of it when they have uh, this breath of life where you know you you see not just hey the, the game three and four coming back here for the wolves or home ice for the but you're trying to lock this into your fan base so that it it, it moves into next year and you create the buzz and and and, and you uh, lock up season ticket holders all those things what's it like in an organization when they make the playoffs because I don't think people realize how crazy it gets. Well, it does, and it moves very fast. I mm-hmm. think that, that's the big thing. I think for most franchises, the overarching idea is that you're going to build momentum not only for the playoff run that you potentially will be on, but also, as you somewhat stated, you're building for the future. Uh, you're trying to lock in and secure season ticket holders for the long term and, and get people to buy your merchandise and you want to dominate the sports pages and the and the radio stations and the television stations and you want to be the place where everybody wants to be and wants to go and wants to talk about and that's really what it's like but i will say the you know the work weeks during the playoffs are 15 16 hour days yep. and many times even when you're on the road it's still that way, getting prepared 
for the home games that are coming up. And it's, and really you're working on fumes uh, for the most part and a lot of energy that's built up over a, a period of time. What's the yin and yang of, you know, at this time when you get everybody's attention uh, and a coach wants the player's attention and focus and say we in the media want a piece of the players and we want access to them. And, and, and as a PR person, you know, this is a time where you can cash in on that. And at the same time, the coach is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a team meal at that time. Can't do that. That kind of stuff. How do you navigate that? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's really having a rapport with the general manager uh, and the coach of the, uh, whether it's hockey, baseball, basketball, or, or whatever the sport is, uh, really stating how important it is to have time available for your local media, mo- most importantly, and then your national media on top of that, to, ha- to have that kind of time to be able to talk to players. Because let's face it, if you're in last place and your season's over, People really don't want to talk about your team, and you you could be out of sight, out of mind. So you need to capitalize on these experiences and, and, and time. And I, I've everywhere I've been in the playoffs, I have, have had those conversations well in advance of the playoffs with the coach and the general manager to make sure we're all on the same page. And it is a little give and take here and there, but but I think most of the time they realize how important it is for the franchise itself. What 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 is the difference in leagues? In other words, to work. I mentioned you did it with three different leagues: Major League Baseball, Hockey, and Basketball. How is it different league to league in terms of the way they approach playoffs? Well, they they all have their own rules on how they want uh, certain things to run, in particular the game itself, but also the post game and pre game. And teams that don't cooperate, whether it's Major League Baseball. Uh, the NHL or the NBA for the ones that I've worked specifically in, they have to be available uh, and players that don't want to cooperate. And there's very few that don't want to cooperate for that matter. Uh, they'll, they'll find them significantly. And it's also publicized and teams don't want that. So for the most part, the leagues all are, are pretty much the same in their protocols and you really, they have meetings before the playoffs with each of the teams, depending on what area of expertise, whether it's marketing or, or communications or, or, or ticketing. So everybody is saying the same thing. And, and then again, you also need to have your workers that come to the arenas and to the ballparks um, also engage in what you're doing, because sometimes a fan will only come out during the playoffs, and that's your only time that you're going to really get up close and personal with them. And if you do, you want to make sure that experience is second to none so they do want to come back next year, whether it's the preseason, the regular season, or another playoff run. When you were with the Wild in year two or three, they went to the Western Conference Finals after the, after they you know started as an expansion team. Was it, was it the third year? It was the third year. Yeah. It was 2003, 2004. Yes, and, and and nobody saw it coming. And, I mean, third year is a franchise. Now, they've never been that far since, I mean, to give it some perspective. Was that a blessing or a curse to get it that soon? Because, because in some respects, you hit it right, and it wasn't maybe a telltale sign of where the team was in the standings. On the other side, it, it revved everybody up, and you owned the sports pages and everything else in April and May. What did that prove to be to you in the long run? Well, I think it was a fabulous experience to get to the Western Conference Finals. And, and for me, on a personal level, we, we played in Anaheim yeah. where I worked, worked 
prior, so it was a yes. little. And Jaguar really was waiting for you, by the way. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, I mean, we had media meals. I took people out to my favorite restaurants and, and uh, you know, way to celebrate our season. But I would say when you look back at it, I mean, it, you want to, you know, you're in this to win yeah. and, and do well. So, you 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 know, it happened that in some ways it was a little bit fluky because the, the Wild were down three to one in the first round against Colorado and they came back and won mm-hmm. in seven games. The next round they played in Vancouver, they were down three to one yep. in the series and they came back and won that. Yep. And then I think they just ran out of gas. So putting that aside, the expectations after that season were, wow, we're on our way. We're going to get there from the fans' perspective. And they just expected us to get to that level or get to the Stanley Cup Finals quick. And we had to somewhat temper those expectations. And that's hard to do when you're coming off that kind of momentum. And we raised ticket prices, but then the next year there was a work stoppage. So it made it very, very, very difficult because um, people wanted to see this team perform and and yet, I think the the chemistry they had at that time, and there were some older players mixed with some younger players that worked out well. But the next year, it just didn't work as well. And and that's what happens in sports. One that's year, exactly it's really good. Happens. Yep, it's not. Yep. Bill Robertson, our guest, put on your commissioner of the USHL hat. Now you're in the spring and it's playoffs. What 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 are arenas like in the USHL right now? Do they rev it up for the playoffs? What do you see? They do. They do, and uh, I, I think you know we're, we're, the, the matchups will, will begin to take place. We have this weekend and next weekend in our regular season, and then the playoffs uh, come to us, and that goes about a month month long. But I think what what I see is that the marketplaces are starting to get excited that are going to host games, and the ones that have are playing traditional rivalries like Lincoln and Omaha in Nebraska are real close to each other and they would love to play each other in the playoffs because it's, they're so close in proximity. That's the kind of stuff you want because that builds rivalries long-term and, and, and builds kind of your, kind of the brand of the USHL. Um, but we have some really good teams, Mike, and um, I can just tell you this, you know, I, I didn't really realize how good the talent is in the league until the NCAA tournament just ended, and over a hundred of our former alumni in the USHL competed in the NCAA tournament and then signed NHL contracts wow. within the last week um, with different teams, and that's amazing. Uh, and that's not saying it's just about the USHL; it's, it's they're also developed in college uh, at the Division One level, but that shows you a lot about the kind of talent that is in this league and. It'll be fun to watch uh, how the playoffs unfold, and um, it's a little longer than the college season, which uh, can be good and bad, but I'm looking forward to my first adventure with the U.S. United States Hockey League's uh, playoff uh, run. How does it work with the high school kids that, you know, their high school season gets over, and the next thing you know, they're playing with the USHL team. Uh, a, uh, what do you have to clear to do that, and, and does that create disruption that needs to be managed because all of a sudden somebody loses a roster spot? Yes, it does. It does create some disruption, and some teams have a philosophy that they want to they want to do that. They have to clear like a waiver uh, uh, scenario, and they have to go through USA Hockey to be cleared to play with these teams. But in, in, in essence, there's there's not a lot of that. 
that goes on that I can see so far in my, my first full season in the USHL. But it, it, it can be disruptive, and it can sometimes be the catalyst that helps a team uh, jumpstart it in the playoffs and the, the end of the regular season when they got a couple players uh, that provide some leadership and some impact and are a little more mature. They're not 16-year-old, but they're 17 years old or 18 years old. Yeah, and, and, and some are, you know, I mean, they're getting game ready for college. But, you know, Bill, this is the most unique thing in all of sports in some respects. There's no basketball league where you could do that, no football league, no baseball league where you, you could do in the high school season, go play with, in essence, college players for a while, then come back. What a tremendous advantage that is, the, the junior leagues in general, but also being able to do it while you're in high school. What, what a tremendous advantage that is uh, for these kids uh, going forward as they mature and, you know, be, they become 21-year-old freshmen. It is, and that's why you're seeing, if you look at the college age. Of, oh, it's of unbelievable. The, the MIAC the, is all juniors, you know? Yes, yep, they're all junior kids, but they're all kids that are not just 18. They're they're, they're starting college at age 20 or 21. Yeah. Um, so they're, they, they've already had experience at the uh, Tier 1 uh, junior hockey level, and now they're coming in as a mature freshman to play at – Minnesota or play at uh, Michigan or play at Minnesota State Mankato. So that happens. That's the way the sport is run. Um, it's just the way it is. And I, I don't know why other sports are so much different. I've always wrestled with that to try to understand it better, but it is what it is. And um, I'm not, I am a fan of kids going to high school and getting their education, but I'm also a very bullish on the United States Hockey League and, and what it can do for a young man in their development and get them to the next level as long as they're getting their education and, and moving forward. Because sure. as you and I know that very few people make it to the national hockey league or major league baseball's, uh, uh, the big show. And, uh, so you need to get your degree. So you have something to fall back on. Billy, appreciate it very much. Happy Easter this weekend. And we'll talk soon. All right, Mike, thanks for the time. Look forward to talking to you again soon. And again, happy Easter and Passover and Ramadan to all of your listeners out there. You got it. Thank you so much, Bill Robertson. Uh, when we come back, I have a question for Chris Tubbs. There's a former Minnesota athlete that is just tearing it up uh, on the uh, on the wrestling circuit. And, and I want to know what his future is because he has just been dominant uh, so far, and I've seen guys that can rope a dopa, but he, I mean, this is different. Tubbsy will explain when we come back. Tubbsy, um, wrestling, your passion, and one of the guests that I had on a few weeks ago that I've known for years is Mike Rollis, the Mad Capper. Mm-hmm. I saw him on national TV the other day. Uh, he, where is he at in his career? It seems like I'm seeing more and more of him on the airwaves. What do you, what do you forecast? He's an Edina kid that played football at the University of Minnesota, for people not familiar. Uh, is it Madcap? Is that his name in the ring? Yeah, uh, yeah. Madcap Moss. He was actually yeah. in, a, uh, in a, a prevalent spot at WrestleMania. Um, and now on Friday night uh, SmackDown, he's turned uh, babyface, which is a good guy. So I think it's the first time that I've ever seen him as a good guy. But he, he, uh, you know, since coming back from his injury, he's been fairly, fairly prominently featured, kind of that sidekick role. Yeah. Uh, but now it, it it seems like he's getting his chance to see what he can do on his own. Well, I mean, I think he's unbeaten, isn't he? 
I you know that that I that I don't know. Um, you know, live events, this, that, and the other. I, I know on TV they're presenting him well, and ultimately that's what's important in WWE is if they present you as a credible performer on the air, then that's going to open up you know all sorts of opportunities for storylines and social media and you know merchandising, marketing, things like that. So it's it's nice to see him finally get that. Um, What's taken so long to get to this point, or is that just is that is that a normal progression? I think it's just a matter. Of sometimes the, they say creative has nothing for you, which basically means you got like a hundred writers and they can't think of one idea. Is okay. and so and that's somebody, a lot. Of somebody's it. got to strike a something and say your personality will work this way. Yes. And, and, yeah. and once you get that, it could be lightning in a bottle. It, it could be, but the thing is, sometimes they might come up with something that's so ridiculous. And you could be the best performer in the world, but the idea or the character, the gimmick is just so silly or ridiculous or it doesn't fit you. Uh, but, uh, you know, apparently the Madcap Moss is working. Uh, it's, it's working for yeah, him. And you get a chance to look that up because I think he's undefeated. Okay. Okay. I will, uh, I will do some checking. The Twins beat the Boston Red Sox on a beautiful day for baseball in Fenway Park. What's it like to be a Red Sox on opening day? We'll ask a guy that was a Red Sox on opening day. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.